This episode is a fascinating journey into three extremely simple techniques that have grown to encompass and embrace modern technology and advances, yet are basically worked exactly as our ancient embroidery forebears would have worked them. And I think that's pretty special. There's nothing quite so rhythmically relaxing as couching, attaching beads or applying sequins. Fiddly, yes. Time consuming, definitely. But exquisitely enjoyable, meditative and therapeutic. And then there's the instant gratification. The hypnotic Fast-paced pattern creation and even tempo relaxes the mind, yet all three certainly punch way above their weight, adding the most incredible textures and sparkle to fashion and textile items. Yet surprisingly, each of these techniques has been around for thousands of years, again drawing from our ancient embroidered past, offering us, through advances in technology and production, the ability to embellish our garments and textiles like never before. And it's thanks to the great French fashion houses such as Worth and Lesage and the designers they worked with, where we see a redefining of the use of artistic embroidery utilising these techniques as a fashion embellishment. It was an eye-opener for me to research these topics to truly understand the historical depths of some of the techniques we use today. So let's explore the stunning world of couched, beaded and sequined embroidery. Hello and welcome to the Stitch Safari podcast, a sprightly and upbeat expedition into the alluringly appealing ambrosial world of stitch history, art and embroidery. Each fortnight we'll trek through and discover the utilitarian, the decorative, the quirky and of course the just plain fun world that is the art of the needle. My name's Cathy Jack Copeland and I'm the Stitch Safari Expedition Leader. I'm an Australian textile artist, teacher, judge, blogger and stitch enthusiast whose work in contemporary machine stitch became my business. Couching or laid work is one of the simplest yet most sophisticated forms of embroidery, yet within its basic framework hides a variety of ways to utilise this amazingly versatile technique. And as one of the simplest, most inexpensive and humble forms of attaching thread to fabric, how appropriate that it works perfectly with some of the most expensive, that of metal thread embroidery or gold work. Working metal threads in clever couched patterns is also an excellent way to glorify the reflective quality of these precious threads. 
But couching is an economical way to utilize every piece of an expensive thread as it's all worked from the front. So there's no wastage. In the couching technique, threads or other materials are laid on top of the ground fabric, then stitched in place with either a matching thread or one of a contrasting colour. And the beauty of using a contrasting thread is the ability for the embroiderer to play with pattern making, formed by each of those tiny couched stitches, especially if the colour used is different from that of the laid thread. For instance, a confident stitcher could work rows of brick couching where the stitches are spaced alternately to make a regular pattern or the millefleur design, which is little groups of stitches resembling tiny flowers. Then there's puffy couching creating dimension by lifting the laid threads gently with a needle after taking each couching stitch. So why use a technique where threads are simply laid on top of the ground fabric? Mainly because that laid thread would be too difficult to work. It may be metal thread which is fragile, expensive and heavy and simply cannot take the constant friction of passing backwards and forwards through the cloth. Plus, even if it could be stitched, some of the pre uh, precious metal would be unseen on the back, making the work even heavier and more expensive. Or a thread may be simply too difficult to work, such as a thick cord or gimp. But couching is not simply used to create a line of stitching using just one thread. It may also be used as a filling stitch, as an outline, and can be worked straight or in a circle. Used for centuries to hold threads onto the surfaces of fabrics, in its most basic form, the technique can be traced back to extant Scythian samples from the 1st century BC. So let's investigate some of the many forms of couching, and even I was surprised by how many there are. Underside couching was used from the Opus Anglicanum period in Europe from 1250 to 1350, but rarely after this time. Many church vestments during this period used underside couching, where the background was completely covered in couched gold thread in such a way that it appeared to be stitched through the fabric. The thread enters and exits the same hole and is pulled slightly to the reverse side of the fabric, thus making the couching thread invisible. And this creates a more flexible, better draping fabric. It's also characteristic of Japanese metal thread embroidery, Central Asian Suzani work and Islamic embroidery, which has a strong tra uh, tradition of using a couching stitch. Pattern couching refers to the use of a repeated pattern, such as in vertical stacked lines, diagonal lines in one direction, convent stitch where the couching stitch is diagonal to the couched metal thread, or couching in a circle with lines of couched thread spiralling outwards. 
Diaper patterns were used during the Shang Dynasty in China, 1766 to 1122 BCE, when silk merchants named their patterned woven silk fabrics diapron. The diaper pattern utilises diamond lozenge shapes to create strong visual diagonals in both directions, differentiating this couched pattern technique from other forms of pattern couching. Diaper pattern couching was also used in other cultures such as Russia, Japan and Norway. Or Norway originated in the 15th century, seen in Flemish ecclesiastical embroideries and later adopted by other European countries, allowing embroiderers to handle colour shading in a very sophisticated way. Shimmering gold mingles with the coloured couch stitches, enabling embroiderers to create the illusion of perspective. Traditional Ornoué uses straight vertical or horizontal lines of couched metal thread to produce figurative images. Designer to the King of France, St Auburn, wrote this in the 1770s. There is no embroidery work where so complete a range of colour tones is called for. The embroiderer must always have 20 or so needles threaded with the necessary shades so as not to become either overly impatient or lose the scheme of varying tones he wished to give to his subject. Shaded gold is, no doubt, the slowest type of embroidery work to produce. It requires the most patience combined with the greatest skill on the part of the worker. Beryl Dean, creator of numerous works of Ornoué, even suggested painting the design onto the ground fabric so that the stitcher can follow the changing colours as the rows build. And in 1990, Margaret Nicholson, one of England's leading embroidery designers, wrote this. If we could redirect the traditional use of this technique from the ecclesiastical to the secular and at the same time encourage each individual embroiderer to bring their own interpretation to this work, I feel that the appearance of the work would be changed to complement modern life and give pleasure to a wider public. She goes on. Furthermore, with a little imagination, we could add a new dimension to this flat method of embroidery for a more secular use in our lives today. These new effects could easily be achieved by using more varied metal threads, thicker threads, surface stitchery, padding, the use of braid and applique, and the application of sequins and beads. Italian shading is a term actually coined by English embroiderer Beryl Dean to differentiate it from Ornoué. Dean suggested that Ornoué is a French term, so why not use an Italian term for shading, showing a different type of gold work. It's a technique that follows the shape of the object as opposed to standard Ornoué, which is worked in parallel lines.
This can be seen in circular shapes, wavy shapes, or following the contours of motifs such as feathers or petals. Damascening is a form of couching that uses a single or double strand of thread couching undulating teardrop-shaped metal thread loops. The ground fabric is exposed while creating a pleasing filigree effect. Damascening is often fused with the vermicelli technique which is more random but also gives an open textured meandering effect. Vermicelli has also been called Cornelli couching, which is a term used to describe a similar pattern making effect used in cake decorating or machine embroidery using cords. Italian couching describes where the motive remains untouched, but the area around the motive is couched, making the motive really stand out and giving a raised effect to the pattern. Bokhara couching is another variation whereby instead of using a laid thread and a separate couching thread, only one thread is used and backtracks on itself on the underside of the embroidery to then leap uh, <laughs> loop around itself. Chain cross and fly stitch couching uses decorative embroidery stitches such as the detached chain stitch, fly stitch and the cross stitch to secure those laid threads. And finally, Jacobean couching or couched filling stitch, which is a composite stitch giving a trellis-like appearance. Long straight stitches are crossed by a second set of long straight stitches at 90 degrees to the first, creating a trellis or diamond-like pattern. These are fastened to the ground fabric by small cross stitches, often in a different colour. Modern embroiderers are constantly creating new ways to use the extremely versatile traditional technique of couching. Bead embroidery uses a needle and thread to attach beads to the surface of a fabric and is used mainly on clothing, accessories, pillows and boxes. Beading also features on fashion runways almost every season. Beads became tokens of status and luxury for kings, sultans, pharaohs and emperors used to embellish and enhance and our first beads were probably extremely humble, those using seashells, broken eggshells or even seeds. Archaeologists unearthed shells used as beads in the African cultures dating back over 72,000 years. The Golden Death Mask for King Tutankhamun from 1323 BCE contained stripes of blue glass. The same blue glass, analysts have proven, that was used to create blue beads buried with a Bronze Age woman in Denmark. Trade was a wonderful thing, even in those times. Tombs in Iraq dating to 2500 BC contain remarkable beadwork using thousands of tiny lapis lazuli beads sewn to form a fillet or crown. 
Drawings and paintings from Egypt show images of richly embroidered garments, while Stone Age graves on Israel's Mount Carmel contained elaborately beaded headdresses made from thin, splintered bones and shells. Glass beads were used decoratively in ancient Egypt, Greece and Rome, as well as by the Druids in religious rites. Beads were also used to embellish purely pictorial works, where in Germany they were used to create a series of small portraits of apostles executed entirely with coloured beads stitched onto a vellum backing. And Alexander the Great is said to have ordered a beautifully embroidered and beaded eastern robe when he conquered Persia in 331 BC. The Middle Ages saw beads incorporated to embellish Elizabethan and Renaissance clothing, purses, boxes and small pictures. Extant examples show beads used in the shoes of the Holy Roman Emperor Friedrich II from 1220, made from calf with red silk and gold edging, embellished with precious stones and beaded with small pearls. Dalmatic sleeves from the Royal Workshop at Palermo between 1130 and 1154, made from purple silk with trimmings in red silk, embroidered with gold, gold filigree, enamel and again beaded with tiny pearls. From a 5th century burial site in Japan to a beaded hat circa 1275 found in royal tombs in Spain. From 1550 Russia and a set of cuffs worked on velvet and silk with pearls and gold. And moving to the late 1500s and a Venetian needle case embroidered over wood and embellished with small pearls. Beading has been well utilised throughout history. And with European colonisation of America, bead embroidery became a means for Native Americans to hold on to their cultural identity. The Eskimos of Greenland and North America ornamented their thigh-high boots, capes and tunics with beadwork. African beadwork is used to to ornament ceremonial headdresses, tunics, masks, baskets, vessels, dolls and a variety of other objects. The sophisticated geometry used to convey messages. Beads can be seen used over most of Southeast Asia on dress and weapon ornaments. However, Borneo beadwork uses curvilinear zoomorphic ornaments, mostly in black, yellow and red. Oceanic beadwork, in contrast, is much simpler, tending to rely on natural materials such as wood and shell. Beadwork embroidery is famous in the states of Gujarat and Rajasthan in India, creating flowing or geometric designs worked on fine fabrics. Beads may be stitched individually, in small groups, or applied threaded in length and couched down to secure. They can also be woven into the fabric where the weft is threaded with beads before being woven or incorporated into decorative embroidery stitches such as chain stitch, coral stitch and fly stitch. 
Many use a fine needle and thread to attach beads, but a tambour hook may also be used to create a chain stitch to hold the beads to the fabric. The tambour technique, thought to have developed in India in the 17th century, requires the fabric to be stretched in a frame and has two advantages. One is that it can be worked at great speed. The other is that the thread used is continuous, so there's no stopping and starting to finish off threads, cut new threads and fasten on again. Think of those amazing jazz era dresses, heavily decorated with dense beading and sequins tambored into geometric shapes. The dresses fell straight from the shoulders with little shaping. The weight of the beading giving the dresses that dazzling movement. Beads come in a variety of shapes, sizes and materials, including wood, shell, plastic, ceramics, glass, metal and bone, and are categorised by their shape, surface finish, origin, grade, as well as the materials they're made from. With 55 different options, the most popular include seed beads, bugle beads, cultured and costume pearls, crystal beads, paper or fabric beads, drop beads and so on. Nylon or gel spun fishing line type thread is used to attach the beads. These are soft yet strong fibres and do not create large holes in the embroidery foundation. Specialist beading needles are used that are long and fine and sometimes very difficult to thread and may require several passes through the bead and the foundation to anchor securely. So from geometric patterns to sinuous lines to bugle beads that can be made to stand upright to creating long dingly danglies, beading offers immediate visual gratification and therapeutic balm for our over-busy minds. Sequins are like sartorial champagne or caviar used to make any occasion festive, giving sensual pleasure to both the wearer and the viewer. Coming from the Venetian word meaning a ducat coin, then rendered in French to become the word sequin, sequins owe their history to that of attaching metal coins to clothes as a display of wealth, status and as a means of keeping them secure. They're also referred to as palettes, spangles or diamante. Sequins have a central hole while spangles have a hole located at the top. Both are now a common embellishment in the fashion and costuming industries for highly visible performance-based events such as parades, stage and fashion shows. Today there are over 100 different finishes in sequins such as pearl, rainbow, crystal, luster, matte and metallic. Some are multifaceted to increase their reflective ability and some are even reversible, utilising two very different effects. And to help protect the environment, they are now made lead-free, cadmium-free and phthalate-free. Australian Elisa Brunato has even developed an iridescent shimmering sequin made using a fully biodegradable cellulose. 
Sequins have been used as clothing decoration from 2500 BC when uh, solid gold sequin-like discs were found sewn onto royal garments in the tomb of Tutankhamun. This prompted a renewed popularity for the use of sequins by the flapper girls during the 1920s. And Norwegian figure skater Sonja Heaney, three-time Olympic winner, no doubt inspired by those flapper girls, was the first to add sequins to her Olympic outfits. But they were heavy. A lightweight gelatin sequin was produced that was much lighter than their metal counterparts, but the downside was that they melted if they became too warm. Apparel manufacturer Algae Trimmings Company worked with Eastman Kodak to produce clear plastic sequins. However, these had a tendency to be brittle. A polyester film was added, but eventually this process was replaced because of durability and cost. Eventually, lightweight vinyl plastic and resin was used, including customers such as the Supremes, Elizabeth Taylor and the Ringling Brothers. And not to be forgotten, our old friend and prolific inventor Leonardo da Vinci made a sketch in the early 1480s of a device with pulleys and weights designed to make gold sequins. However, it's believed the device was used for something more utilitarian. You just knew he'd turn up here somewhere. What an incredible mind that man had. So with couching beads and sequins, we've actually covered a lot of ground. And I'm thrilled to learn that we're moving towards creating embellishments that are more caring and less impactful on our fragile world. That's a great step forward. Thank you all for your time. This has been a fascinating episode to research, but there's more to come in 2022. So do stay tuned and subscribe. Stitch Safari has now reached over six and a half thousand downloads, and that is all thanks to you. It's also been mentioned as one of the 20 best embroidery podcasts of 2021 by Welp magazine and listed in the top five textile industry podcasts as at January 2022 by Feedspot. I'm extremely grateful. Please leave a message and subscribe to the Stitch Safari podcast. There's just so much more to discover and it's all so fascinating. I do post interesting tidbits on Instagram and Facebook from time to time, as well as book reviews and a blog on the Stitch Safari website. So do head on over. Till the next upcoming episode of Stitch Safari and our next exciting adventure into stitch, embroidery and design. Bye for now. Bye.